Well, good evening. If you'll turn in your scriptures to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. As Josh mentioned tonight, we will be continuing on from where we were at this morning, and we'll be looking at verses 5 through 12. It's interesting when you do these series like this with the morning and the evening, how quickly we get through the books. It doesn't seem like it took any time at all for us to get through 1 Thessalonians, and after tonight, we will be complete with chapter 1 already. So um, we cover a lot of ground, but it's, it's good, and I believe that God has been blessing us as we, as we study. This evening, we'll be looking at the judgment and the glory at the coming of Christ. Frankly, this passage that we'll be looking at tonight, I find to be extremely heavy. And I think anytime we begin to talk about the judgment and the coming of Christ, it should be weighty. We should find a great deal of importance, a great deal of sense of urgency for us as believers, because I don't believe that there's anyone here who doesn't know someone Who's, who's lost, whether that be a family member, coworker, friend, neighbor. We all know people who don't know the Lord. And when we start talking about judgment, we start reading passages about judgment, we have a great deal of curiosity as Christians about the signs and the times and the things that are gonna be going on around that. And for us, our, our view is very different. We have the second part of this. We have the glory that we think about with the coming of Christ. But for our friends and neighbors and coworkers, it's judgment. And we know, based upon God's word, and as we'll read tonight, that it's not going to end well for those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So as we come to this tonight, we come to this scripture with a heaviness because of that. But at the same time, we want to balance that with the glory and the joy that we will have as believers at the return of our triumphant King who will not be coming gentle and lowly as he did previously. He will be coming as a conquering king. One who is going to be bringing with him flaming angels. And if you don't get excited about flaming angels in scripture, you need to check your pulse because that's some awesome stuff, right? And it's awesome because God is doing it. And God is going to do way, way, way more and be way, way bigger and better and and, and, and more awesome than we can even imagine or than can even be given words for us to read. So as we look at scripture tonight, please read along with me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 5 through 12. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you were also, also are suffering since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed, because our testimony among you was believed. In view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you 
and you by him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at the scripture tonight, that one of the, the things that I, I think about immediately uh, as, as we look at the scripture, very first verse there in verse five is that the judgments of God are righteous and just. I think when we look around in our world today, some of the prayer requests that have been mentioned tonight, some of the things that are going on, um, the missionaries that have been uh, kidnapped in Haiti, a place that I have been personally doing work exactly like those people that have been kidnapped. I just wonder how is that, how is that just? How is that right? Where is God in this? And I think when things happen like that, we all have similar thoughts of why did this happen? Why is God allowing this to happen? But we need to realize that when we begin to evaluate things, that we're not evaluating them from the same position that God is. The judgments of God are righteous and just. And when we look at things that happen, when we look at the way things are working out or the way that God is working uh, in the situations in life, we want to put our own morality, our own understanding of what is right and wrong on what is happening. And we're not looking at it with the same eyes that God is. And we have to realize that just because we think it's fair doesn't mean that it's fair in God's eyes. Just because we think something should work out a certain way doesn't mean that that's what God has in his plan. And while we don't understand why things happen like these missionaries being kidnapped in Haiti or other tragedies that we see, they all fit into a much bigger plan that God has. God is working in and through situations, both good and bad, and we have to realize that he is judging in a way that is righteous, not in a way that is jaded like the way that we would judge. His way is just as opposed to being favoritism, frankly, in the way that we would judge. We must also understand that when God is working in and through situations, that he has the end in mind while we are often looking for temporary solutions. His ways are ultimately higher than our ways. Isaiah 55 tells us that. It says that for his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Ultimately, we are his creation. And while we seemingly always want to have things fit into nice, neat little boxes, we want things to work out perfectly for us and our family and our friends, and, and we have ways that we would like to see things go because we, we think they are fair, God is the ultimate judge. Only he is holy and only he is worthy to judge. So when we see these situations working out in life, we've got to remember that only God is worthy of judging and only his judgments are righteous and just. And in the lives of the Thessalonians, I'm sure that the difficulties that they were experiencing, the, and, and when I say difficulties, that's, a, that's probably not nearly a strong enough word for persecution like they were receiving. But the things that they were going through, they were seeking immediate relief, the same way we would, to seek immediate relief, to see God work immediately. 
But God's plan was to grow them. He was to develop them. As Josh talked about this morning, to increase the love that they had for one another as they were suffering together. To see the the church spread and grow as they were in the midst of persecution. And to see their faith in God deepen as they depended on him more and more and less on themselves because of the extreme uh, persecution that they they were under. Secondly, as we read this tonight, I see that God is just in considering us worthy of his kingdom. There was a friend of mine many years ago. Uh, I had talked to this young man, uh, and I say young man, he's, he and I is about the same age. He's a little younger than I am. We had talked multiple times about what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be saved. And one conversation that we were having about this he asked me a very pointed question. He said, we're very similar. We go to the same school. We like the same things. We watch the same movies. We like the same types of food. What makes you any different than me? Why are you saved and going to heaven, but you say that I'm not saved and that if I die, I would go to hell? That's a difficult question, and it's a good question for someone who's beginning to kind of understand what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, This young man would eventually profess faith in Christ, not directly because of uh, of me ministering. I I, I hope and pray that I had some, some, some hand in working with God working in his heart, but it was a difficult question. It really made me think about how I was living, and it really made me think about the fact that it's not to do anything with me, right? It has nothing to do with me. And ultimately, that's the right answer to the question. When he says, well, we're really similar, then why why are you saved and, and I'm not? And the only answer is Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with who Matt McBroom is. There's nothing special about me. I am deserving of an eternity in hell the same way that every other sinner is. But the only hope that I have, the only reason that I can say to you confidently that I'm, a, I'm gonna be in heaven when I die is because of my faith in Jesus Christ. So it is only because of Christ that God is just in considering us worthy for his kingdom. Not because of our ability to endure suffering but because Christ endured suffering for us. It is not because of our ability to obey perfectly, but because of Christ's perfect obedience. It is not because we loved God so much, but it's because God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son son to die in our place. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31, Scripture says, Brothers and sisters, Consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that as it is written, let uh, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So why is it okay for God to consider us just 
or worthy of his kingdom, it is only because of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that we can lay claim to. There is no amount of degrees. There is no amount of mission trips. There is no amount of money given. There is nothing that we can do that can earn salvation. Works-based faith is dead. James has told us that in his writing in the New Testament. And I hope and trust that all of you understand and believe that here tonight. But there are too many people today who still put their faith and trust in the things that they supposedly do for the Lord, the things that they provide as a follower of Christ because they have value because of the things that they bring to the table. And the truth is they bring nothing to the table but sin, sin that Christ died for. So our only hope then is in Christ. It is not in ourself. It is not in our works. In Ephesians 1, we, we also have uh, written that in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1, that in him we have received our inheritance, or we have received an inheritance, because we are predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Again, it is God who has done the work. It is God who has makes us right with him through our faith in Jesus Christ. And it is God who makes us worthy of his kingdom. Third thing I see as, as we look at the scripture this evening is that God is just in, rep in repaying affliction to those who afflict us. And he is also just in showing relief to those who are afflicted. When we see injustice in the world, do you not become indignant? Do you not become angry? When you watch on television, as we have seen a lot here lately, people packing bags full of stuff in a Target, slipping it on their back and walking straight out the front of the store, and people hold their cell phones up and they record them, you know, the security guards yelling at them, but they can't do anything. We see that injustice of someone shoplifting all of that stuff and we're like, that's not right. And we get upset and we get mad about that. And we say, why is this allowed? Why, why is this not being dealt with? Why is this sin, this open sin not being judged? And we need to understand that God has said that he will be the one that will repay affliction. He will be the one that will bring vengeance. He will be the one that will bring judgment. Too often, we seek to be the ones to sit in God's place in that. We think it's righteous anger, but it's just anger. We seek to see something done immediately, and so we act. God is not slow to act. God has things planned in his time and people who are engaging in sinful activities today, people who are seemingly are getting away with sin, people who are seemingly having a wonderful life living in sin, will have to sit in judgment before a holy God. There is no escape from sin except through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we see people sinning like that, our hope should not be that someone shoots them. It should not be that a police officer knocks them down and beats them with a stick. Right? Those are not the things that we should be hoping as Christians. What we should be hoping is that their hearts are changed from stone to flesh, that they repent of their sin, that they make restitution, and then they seek to follow God and tell others about Jesus Christ. 
And I have to check myself on that because sometimes I think eye for an eye, right? I think we, we need to see justice done here swiftly. But we have to understand that those are sinners just like we are. Those are people who need to hear the gospel just like we do. Those are people who need to repent of sin and follow Christ. They're not people that need us to pass judgment upon them. We do have laws, and I want to see our laws followed, and I wish that we had a way to fix the ills of our society with government. But ultimately, God is the answer. And while we can seek to make changes, and we should seek to make changes, we don't put our hope there. Our hope is in God. My hope is not in a, a presidential candidate or, or a governor or a mayor. My, my hope is in God. Yes, I pray before I vote. Yes, I pray that God would bring us back to him as a country, and we should continue to pray for those things. But ultimately, my hope is not in a man delivering that. My, my hope is in God delivering that. So God will judge sin. And while it seems like people may get away with things, that's not the case. We don't always see what God is doing. We don't always see how God is at work. When we're suffering persecution, as the Thessalonians are suffering persecution here, and as Paul writes, if you, if you guys notice, he says that uh, they're, they're basically suffering along with the Thessalonians in the persecution. So as they suffer, we may often ask to be removed from our situation. But God has promised to be with us and not forsake us and to comfort us. It doesn't mean that he's going to immediately remove the trouble, immediately remove the persecution, immediately remove the, the, the difficulty from our life. Because as we go through that difficulty, I would submit that you're suffering in vain if you're not leaning on Christ and learning as you're going through it. God can grow us. God can show us how to be more Christ-like. God can show us how we can help minister to other people as we go through difficult situations. And again, as, as Josh preached this morning, that's the one thing that I, I, I was thinking about my text tonight as he was preaching this morning, thinking that the love that they had for each other grew because they were united in their suffering. When people are united in suffering, they, they grow closer together. There is a bond to help one another out, to encourage each other. And Christians, we should be doing that with each other today, bearing each other's burdens, loving each other, coming alongside, helping them, praying for each other. We should be doing that today, even though we might say we're not in the same type of persecution that the Thessalonians were suffering. We're not in the same type of persecution that is happening in other places in the world, but our church is being persecuted in some ways. Now, we're able to freely meet here this evening without the threat of police showing up and arresting us. But that happens in the world today. There's a pastor in Canada who is currently in prison for assembling against COVID restrictions. And he was told that they would let him go if he would quit assembling his church to hear the word of God preached and to worship. And he said, no, if you let me go, I'm going to go back to preaching and we're going to go back to meeting and we're going to continue to worship God. And so he remains in prison today. That's in Canada, folks. That's not in China or some foreign country where we expect totalitarianism to prevent the spread of the gospel. 
And they're not effective at preventing the spread of the gospel. The spread of the gospel is going to happen anyway because they're fighting against God. And God will have his will and his way. So when we suffer as Christians, we, we suffer together. We grow closer. And we need to understand that God is never going to leave us nor forsake us, even though he may not remove us from the immediate trouble. Paul is identifying, as I mentioned here in verse 7, with the Thessalonians and their suffering. And he says, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us. Remember, Paul had to flee when he was in Thessalonica. He was able to, to flee to Berea, and, and then he encountered additional troubles as he went along the way. It's not like Paul's at a vacation home writing them from comfort, right? Um, but he's, he's identifying with them in their sufferings. And as I mentioned, as Christians, we should do that for each other. We should identify with each other in our sufferings as we encourage one another. Fourthly, and we'll spend a little additional time on this one, the revelation of Christ at his second coming will result in judgment and glory. So for those who, who, who do know or those who don't know God, for those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ is going to be a terrifying, cataclysmic event. When Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, there will be no doubt any longer that there is a God and that Jesus Christ, his son, is Lord. And that all that has been said in scriptures through the Old Testament, through the writing of the prophets, the wisdom literature, the poetry, the letters in the New Testament, all of that is true. But unfortunately, the time for repentance, the time for believing upon Jesus Christ will be over. The day of judgment will, will have come. And for those who do not belong to Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might as it says in verse nine there. What's important for us to realize about this is that this is going to come upon the world the same way that the flood came upon those in Noah's day. Matthew 24, 36 to 42 tells us about this. It says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son, of, uh, nor the son but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women in the grinding mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. My fellow Christians, there has never been a greater reason for us to share the gospel. When we read passages like this, a fire and a passion should burn within us to share with as many people as possible the good news of Jesus Christ. People will die. People will spend eternity in hell 
because they do not know Jesus Christ. And this is the passion. This is the, the fire that sends missionaries around the world. This is the driving force behind sharing the gospel for each and every one of us here in this room. That there would not be one who would pass out of this world without having heard the name of Jesus Christ. That they would have been given the opportunity to hear the gospel from our lips. That they would be shown in scripture what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Will you not be inconvenienced? made uncomfortable in conversation or in work situation, or face open rejection to simply share the gospel with a lost person. I believe Charles Spurgeon has put this best when he says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay and if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. The world is lost and dying. We know the truth. We have the only way of forgiveness in our hearts, in the Bibles that we have in our hands. That is the knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. And church, we have to, have to share that with a lost and dying world. No matter the cost to us personally, because it means everything to someone who's perishing. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, this great day of judgment will be a day of glory because the return of Christ will be something that we have longed for, something that we have looked forward to, something that we get excited about, something that we want to shout hallelujah. If you think about when Christ went in for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, take that like times a thousand, right? This, this is the returning king coming back, something that we will celebrate. It'll be a cause for the greatest joy. Verse 10 says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. And then Paul says, because our testimony to you was believed. Because our testimony to you was believed. He is saying to the Thessalonians that they are going to be there together as brothers and sisters in Christ among the saints to glorify God at the marvelous returning of Christ. Another unifying statement where Paul is saying, I'm, I'm with you in your sufferings, but you know what? I am gonna be there when we celebrate the return of Christ. When all of these tribulations and trials that we're facing pass away and we are able to see God face to face when we see Christ return and we will be there to celebrate together. And that is our great hope as Christians. Our commission is to share the gospel, but our hope is the return of Christ. And we want to see as many brothers and sisters there as possible. We should desire, just as Spurgeon said, for people to have been given the opportunity to hear the gospel from our lips. And if they do not believe, that is not your responsibility. 
That is God's responsibility. It's your responsibility to share the word. But we want to make sure that when we exit this world, that we can say that we did everything that we could to tell others about Jesus Christ, to tell others about how they could receive forgiveness of their sins and how they could spend eternity in heaven. Paul ends, as we will get ready to end, by praying for the Thessalonians. And he started in verse 3 with what Josh read this morning, what he preached on is that he thanks God always for you, brothers and sisters. As we look in verse 11, he says, To this end we, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and, in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified in you and you in him. We don't know the day or time of Christ's return, but we do know that he will return. We don't know who is going to receive the gospel and who won't, but we know how to tell people about the gospel. We don't know how God is working in situations that we're going through, but we have confidence that he is working in all situations. So my prayer for, for, for us tonight as a body of believers, my prayer for us as a church is that we would resolve to do everything we can to, to share the gospel with others, to see Jesus Christ glorified, and to look forward each and every opportunity we can to share the gospel with the lost and to stay ready until the Lord comes or he calls us home. Because that's the calling on all of us as believers. That's our great commission. Please join me as we have, we have prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, these passages like this are, are heavy. And Lord, we pray that we would feel the weight of that and we would feel an urgency in sharing the good news, the gospel with, with people we come in contact with. Lord, we pray that you would give us opportunities to do that each and every day. We pray that we would recognize those opportunities and we would anxiously, excitedly talk to people about you. We pray, Lord, that, that, that we would look forward to your coming. We pray that we would be excited about that, Lord, and that we would not get so mired down with things that are going on here and get sad and, uh, and depressed about things, Lord, but that we would keep the perspective that we belong to you that we have an eternal home in heaven with you and that you are working even in the midst of our difficult situations. Lord, we pray that you would lead us and guide us and give us a passion for your word. Be with us as we go our separate ways this evening. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.